You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Uh, we're live for episode two of Sagas and Sass. Um, we are going to be discussing the second half of Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo. So we're finishing the first book in the Grishaverse books, uh, in terms of publication order at least. Um, we'll go through and just kind of reintroduce ourselves real quick, uh, and then we'll dig into it. Uh, so again, my name is Tara. I am, I guess, your main host, sort of, uh, in that I put this whole thing together from, from the beginning. But uh, I'm very happy to be joined by some very good friends of mine. Um, so you can find me across the web at the Geek Saga, or also organizing uh, Game of Thrones Songwise and Fire Convention, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and we have uh, Nick. Hi, I'm <laughs> Nick uh, Popio. You can find me most places at Nick Popio. Um, general good at all fashion geek. Good times. Uh, Nami, I think is under me and on the screen anyway. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Nami. I can be found almost everywhere on the internet as Necronami Cosplay. I love cosplaying and I love reading. And that's all the insight I have right now. There we go. All right, Jonathan, you, you last but not least. I'm Jonathan. I'm a longtime <laughs> science fiction fantasy fan who can be found about here because I'm a Luddite and don't have any fancy Twitter followers or really any, any other media presence. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I'm jealous of you for that because right now I'm trying to keep up with like several Instagram and Twitter accounts and God knows how many Facebook pages and TikTok. And I just can't, I just, it's like, it's, it's, it's real fun. Um, okay. So now that we've gone through that real quick, uh, so the last time we were here two weeks ago, we had talked about the first, approximately the first half of shadow and bone and where it ended was, um, the Darkwing had just kissed Alina. Blech. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, I think that, and, and, and we knew that there was like a, a big to do coming up, like a big, uh, uh, gathering coming up, whatever, um, Bet. the FET, yeah, uh, win the winter ball, whatever. I, I honestly don't remember what they call it. Uh, but so yeah, we, we knew that was coming up and, and all that, but the second half of this book, it, it, it goes really quickly into some big reveals. Um, so, uh, I guess, well, first of all, we, we, they go to the, the ball fet, whatever the heck it was called. And, um, the, there's a whole very like YA sexual fantasy scene between Alina and the Darkling that like, uh, reading it the first time, I think I kind of read through it and was like, oh no, whatever. And now reading it the second time, like kind of no, ha having already read the books and knowing what happens, I was like, oh my God, this is so bad. Uh, and, and, and <laughs> it, it, you know, she, she goes through this whole thing where the darkling hates this, this winter ball and having to perform for the, uh, the, the oh, nobles, the nobles. Yeah. There's a word for it that starts with an O the people who don't, who aren't Grisha. Um, 
So he doesn't or really Oskaya like it, but Lita, or something. Oh, oh, like yeah, Otsitskaya, oh, yeah. Otsitskaya. Oh, yeah, Muggles. Yeah, that's a much easier word to say. Uh, <laughs> so so he hates doing it, but they do it anyway. And Alina does a really good job. Yay, Alina. She, you know, but but I think at this point, um, mostly because he is still there to to amplify her or whatever. But she also she sends she like creates the little rainbow in the water and stuff and uh, and he praises her, and then he makes out with her hardcore uh, in a dark room, and um, yeah. It says he can't control himself. Yeah, yeah. Like, again, like I said, I think the first time I read it, it wasn't like it was sexy or something, but I just kind of passed over it as like, this is the thing that is happening, and this time I read it, and I was like, oh no, this is icky. He's so icky. Everything about this is icky. Icky, icky, icky. Um, for those of you who are just listening in podcast form versus watching us, I am, I, for that whole description, I was just shaking my head and like drawing my face into my neck to make more chins of disgust because I can never have <laughs> enough chins to express how icky that, that chins man is. Of icky chins of disgust. That chins is of disgust. an amazing description. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I can try to do that. I don't know. It's not working for me. Um, I think it's because of the angle of my laptop. Yeah, you have yeah. to sort of come from like a below angle. If oh, uh, that's that's my that's my hey, make sure you're on the stream alarm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spoiler: I'm on the stream. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, so yeah. Like it, it, it's a really it's just a really kind of like uncomfortable scene as a whole um, I don't know like Nick and Jonathan this is this was your first time reading this so like for you guys did you immediately feel uncomfortable with it or like did you kind of like were you like me the first time like where I, I glossed over it because I didn't I wasn't know. as uncomfortable because I mean to me it's a little bit of a trope the young girl and the, and the immortal I mean that's been in Buffy the Vampire Slayer it's been in other stories but but as far as this particular I definitely got the impression he was doing this more to use her than to, because he was actually in love with her, which is more debatable in some of the others. I appreciate that sh that Lee kind of used that trope to show us how manipulative it is, like inherently we know there are issues with uh, when there's a power imbalance, right? Uh, anytime in a relationship where there's a power imbalance, that's problematic. And I appreciate that Lee used the context around the scene and the scene itself to kind of remind us like, hey, this is kind of fucked up. And she, um, sorry, Alina has just vastly less power which she even says after it happens something to the effect of the darkling can just disappear but i don't have that luxury she has to like slink back and like try to make sure that she's not seen and has to check herself in the mirror and see how messed up she is i mean to me it's mm, Disgusting is probably too strong of a word, but it's, yeah, yeah. It, it was really upsetting for me to like read that and think about it in the context of this is a young girl, young woman who has been preyed on by this 
like immortal creature and to, to Jonathan's point, this is this is clearly something that's been done countless, countless times. But usually, it's not done in a way where we're actually sitting there and thinking about it. Usually, it's like with Angel and Buffy or whatever. We're like, "Oh my god, it's such a great relationship!" And I just really hope that they make it. Um, yeah, but, but Angel and Spike was not. I'm sorry, Angel and Spike. Buffy and Spike. <laughs> Buffy Angel and Spike. Spike. That is that's some you. If you read my fanfic, you would know that that's a really consensual and beautiful relationship. And um, besides, they're both immortal, so it's fine. But yeah, no, I. Yeah, I, I on first read, it was very upsetting. But if I had read this when I was like a teenager, I don't think that I would have had the same reaction. Uh, so if I was like the actual YA audience. I don't think I would have had that ability to sort of see it as this very manipulative act. Although I do think that Lee was being very deliberate with that. See, I think the most interesting thing about this actually is that I have been participating in the Grishaverse fandom more than I was when I initially read the books. Um, mm -hmm. I actually just participated in like the Grishaverse big bang, which is essentially like, um, it's an event that pairs writers and authors. So a writer will write a fic and then, um, and multiple artists can pick fics within the group and do create art for it. So I was really blessed and I got to write a fic for that and I got amazing art from it and it was really great. But the weird thing about being in that group was seeing just how many people liked the Darkling and just how many people liked Alina and the Darkling as a pairing. And not only that, but noticing that the majority of fans of Alina and the Darkling were like middle-aged white ladies. No offense, Tara. Like, literally. <laughs> hey, hey, I am not in that realm yet. No, I am middle-aged. I am not there yet. I am middle-aged, and Tara is almost 20 years younger than me. So they were literally starting in their 30s and going up. And all these like like white ladies were just like, yeah, we love this pairing. And I'm like, ma'am, is your partner abusing you? Do you uh, not honestly, I ran into I ran into very similar things back when I was involved in the Song of Ice and Fire uh, fanfic uh, and fandom like community with Jora Danny shippers. So I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I was, I was thinking much, you were going to be like, uh, I was Littlefinger and Sansa. Oh God, no, 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 no! I say far away. Like I know that existed, but I literally like I I participated in some things where there was like you were assigned, you know, like like you you said what you were willing to write about, and you were assigned like, mm -hmm. you know, like a pairing or whatever. So I participated in some things about that, and um, I was very specific about what I was willing to write about, you know. And like one time, I made the mistake of saying I was willing to write about Jorah and Danny, but I did specify not in like a shippy way. So I wrote this whole like Jorah pining after Danny thing. The, the the person I wrote for loved it, you know, because like I knew what I was doing. But at the mm -hmm. same time, like, yeah, I'm not writing this as like a couple. This is not yeah. yeah. It's just so weird, like to see that. Like I. I literally specifically made friends in the Grishaverse fandom based off of who was incredibly disgusted by the Darkling <laughs> and didn't do that whole like 
didn't do the, oh, look at that cute evil man. I'm going to save him. That's why I love him. And I think the good thing is that it's a bit more difficult, I think, to do that with the Darkling because, or rather, I think we're past the time when people do that by default. Because when you, the way that I'm trying to, the way that I'm like comparing this, for example, is to Loki. Because Loki is like the default, like almost every girl is like, I love Loki. Like we love Loki more than Thor. Thor is a dum-dum. We love Loki. And listen, been there, done that. Still, still love him. Acknowledge that he is a garbage trash chaos man. But, you know, it's like, it's sort of like, if this was back in the Loki time, I could understand people just being like, oh, I love the Darkling. Like, his mom was, seems like she was the worst. And I'm like, let's, let's, let's stop with Blame and Bagra out here. I, that, that woman has the patience of a saint for mm. sitting by and just watching her son do this as she is not strong enough to stop him. And she, oh, that poor lady, I feel so bad for her. But that's a different, that's a different topic. But like, I, I find it so, so weird that people can like and defend the Darkling when even from his introduction, he is viewed as a very powerful, very manipulative person. Like, there's never a time when I saw the Darkling and I heard about him and I didn't think he was a bit creepy sketchy. But also, in fairness, I did start by reading Six, Six of Crows. Crows. And when yeah. you read Six of Crows first, you know, you have a little idea that something is up with him and that he wasn't cool. I So, so I mean, as someone who read this trilogy first, um, I, I will say, like, up until kind of the very end of Shadow and Bone, I really do think that the Darkling was like a well-written character. It was it was that moment, and and we'll we'll, we'll get into this later. But th there was that there was that one moment where it's like, oh no, he's really just totally bad. Where he's not like he's not one of those like villains where you can kind of sympathize a little bit with where he's coming from. You know, uh, he just like I mean I mean I put this in the document, but like. How about the shocking reveals? Like, so they go to this party and then immediately after that, like we find out that the Darkling has always been the Darkling. He's been lying the whole time. He's just been like coming back and saying like he was his own like son or something. And 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 Bagra is his mom and he's actually a bad guy, like a villain and, and not like a regular run of the mill villain. He literally wipes out an entire city's worth of people to prove his power, you know, to, to, to make these, the Fjordans and the Shuhan and, and, and really the Robkins as well, like, like bow to him. Um, like, uh, and that, that in and of itself, it was kind of like, I, I don't know that, that, Lee Bardugo could have done it any other way for the story that she wanted to tell, of course, but I feel like he went from being a really well-written, almost understandable bad guy, you know, even with what we hear from Bagra to, oh my God, he literally just, uh, I mean, committed like, like, I mean, genocide in a way. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think another important thing is that like, I never, I always thought he was well-written. I just think, you know, as as an adult, it's difficult to read about him and be like, ah, yes, we're going to have sympathy for this character. And I think that's okay in a villain. I think you can understand why a villain does what they do 
because of good writing. So like, as the series goes on, I think you can very much understand why the Darkling is who he is and why he does it. But it's also, but it definitely comes down to one of those cool motives, still murder moments. <laughs> where it's like, it's like, oh, absolutely. I get this. Mm -hmm. This is a motive, A plus, all understandable, still murder. And I think, I think that's also an example of really good writing because it takes a lot to be able to write a villain that makes sense but also is utterly irredeemable because cough genocide cough. I do wish that in that context, they had done more in sort of the conflict between uh, Ravka and the Furidans and the, um, oh, I'm blanking Shahan. on the other one. Shahan. Yeah. Yeah. Shahan, yeah. We know very because, little about it, you're right. Because the justification for protecting Ravka while it's there and I understand it I think it could have made the Darkling a more compelling villain if we had known more about that tension and why we need to like protect Ravka otherwise it really to me the Darkling came off as not necessarily a megalomaniac, but like a, I need to consolidate and expand my power power, and I want to be in control of everything. He had like the tiniest sliver of like, I'm, I'm doing this for a good reason, but like really, at least in the second half of the book, it really was, I'm trying to gain more power. And <laughs> the justification was like, oh yeah, because Ravka needs to be protected. It's I think not so clear so to me. Oh, hold on, John, yeah, I want to hear what Jonathan has to say. Cause, it's cause not clear like, to me what, whether it's a chicken and egg thing about the, at least at this point in the books, and I haven't read the other books yet. So to <laughs> me, it's not clear what started the um, wars between the different countries. Um, yep. What? Yes, they're anti-Grishna in these other countries, which has been made clear. But is it are they anti-Grishna because the Krishna basically attacked them originally? I, I, you know, there's no there's no backstory to tell you what ca caused the conflict at this point. And to be honest, there isn't in these three books. There isn't. Uh, you do not get you get more of that backstory in the Six of Crows duology, and you get I, actually I think it's I think it's mostly in the Six of Crows duology especially maybe Crooked Kingdom, um, you, you, you get quite a bit of the, of the well, more so the Fjordan stuff than the Shuhan, I believe. It, it's been a while since I read them. But, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely get to that eventually. But that's definitely a, a weak point of these books. And I get it not being in the first one, but it really isn't. They really don't go into detail with it in the second or third books in this trilogy. Either, or Lee doesn't um, in the second or third book either um and maybe it's because she was saving it up you know for future you know novels to build her world more and that's understandable um but yeah it, it, it is kind of like but that's the thing i guess maybe we don't really need to know what the conflicts are because in the end he's not harming like he's threatening them but he's not harming them yet he is killing his own people and i think that's that's the key you know what i mean like he does not hesitate to kill an entire is it just one city it's, it's just Novo it's one yeah, yeah. Novo he, he doesn't hesitate to kill like an entire city's worth of his own people um yeah. just to oh. prove that 
he can make this worse for them, you know? So I also think I have a very different POV on like the vague war idea because of my age. So this is like very US history absorbed. So I was in second grade when 9-11 happened and I am currently 26. And that means that a lot of the young adult, like the target audience for YA books right now were born as 9-11 happened. So these are kids that have grown up knowing the war in the Middle East, but not really, really knowing it. And the war has always been there. And so I think for me that even though I was old enough when 9-11 happened to know like the reason that like the U.S. went to war, et cetera, I think the idea of like a vague war with no justification explicitly is enough for me to just sort of be like, yeah, that's what it is. Of course we're at war. And that comes from having a younger perspective and not, and like sort of growing up with that U.S. history sort of like idea there and like that experience. So to me, going into a book where they never really describe what this war is, just, yeah, Ravka's been at war. I sort of was, more, I was more accepting of that. And I was like, yeah, of course, the war. Cool. Because let's be fair, all of the Middle Eastern conflicts with the U.S. has literally been the war to me growing up 1000 percent agree with that and yeah I mean, well i mean honestly i was i was in elementary school when the first gulf war was going on i mean i'm talking first or second grade and i i remember i can't remember what year it was it's, it was whatever year bush ran against oh my god like old like like great Grandpa Bush, old Bush, not George W. <laughs> ran against oh, the older Bush. It was, was ninety. It, it was ninety. It was ninety. Well, the first Gulf War was in ninety-one. So it wouldn't have been ninety-two because that was Clinton and Bush. So it was ninety-eight. Oh God, yeah. this, I am aging myself really. Yeah, yeah. Now. I remember the eighty-eight election and these like vague, like like you know where we we were the gulf war was it was there it was still an issue it was an issue then no no it wasn't it wasn't like no. there was some gulf sort of war was, gulf war was, was 91 and i know that because i had was recently married and i remember watching the start of it um from at my father oh you know what so you know what i am i'm i'm, I'm misconstruing clinton versus george bush that's what i'm doing with i mean i was very young I'll, let me be very clear. I am aging myself, but I was very young. But I mean, like, I, I just remember, like, as a kid being like, well, why are we going over there? And like, you know, people around me kind of everybody being shocked that that Bush didn't win reelection um, because I lived in like a really small town. Uh, so, I mean, in New England, by the way, but still a very small town, very uh, like blue collar but in that mm -hmm. well bush republican was also a, an old school new england republican yeah so so yeah it was it was it was definitely uh like like I, I just remember there being this whole like there's a there's a war and we're supposed to care about it um you know and as a kid like i remember like like being like like almost kind of told like how i was supposed to think about the election you know and i'm i'm god in 92 i was like nine okay nine like again, aging myself, but yeah, it, it, I mean, our whole, there, yes, there was a big part of like the, the mid to late nineties where there wasn't any, you know, bullshit wars, but like, uh, I mean, 
but like my early adult, adult yeah, my early adult life. year, my, my early childhood years and my early adult years were filled with that. And, and yeah, I think that, um, I don't know, the, the, this idea that you just have to destroy, you know, innocence to prove a point is, it is very, yeah, political. Like, <laughs> reason for me that like Ravka's whole continued miscellaneous background conflict sort of was like normal for me because the idea of a country being wholly at peace when you're raised in the U.S. in the 2000s is absurd, <laughs> which is a really sad thing to think about, actually. So I'm going to not think about that. That's my plan. But so I think another thing that really struck with me was that so much of the Darklings rhetoric to me sounded like sound like the reason for me that I was very accepting of his current megalomaniac, like absurd ways is because to me, I was like, this is somebody who has had 400 years of this motivation and has devolved. Like, what I could see, like, what I saw with him destroying, like, extending the shadow fold and, like, destroying that city was a man who's just been trying to make things better for Carisha for 400 years. And at this point is like, you know what? Fuck it. Nothing works. Doing it my way. Except you. Well, I would agree with that, except for the fact that he's the one who created the fold in the first place. First place, yeah. Which it, it makes it. Like, that was the part that I really felt like there needed to be some kind of greater bridge, maybe? Tara, I can't remember. Is there more of an explanation of why he creates the fold? Or do I just have this idea in my head that's like fan and creation? Um, I, I, I don't think there's... It's never like an explanation of, of why or how. Because I always... It's basically like he was... Accident. Uh, it was, I do think it was an accident. Um, I think that he could do, he thought he could do something and it ended up in this big, just explosion, essentially. Did um, they ever tell, say what he was trying to do? I, I honestly don't know. Um, to be honest, if that like, happens, I, it has to happen in a later book. Yeah. Well, right. That's, that's what I'm saying. It, it definitely doesn't happen in the first one. And, yeah, and yeah, I've it happened in most of the second, which I'm almost done with. So, <laughs> yeah, probably I'm, not. I'm doing something for my own benefit, which is googling it right now, just because it's going to bother me now. I mean, I, I think. Well, don't don't say too much because we are only. Oh, I absolutely will not. Oh wait, nope. Google isn't even helping. Never mind. I got. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that like the thing is like I think the the he's just power hungry. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and that's kind of the point with like, yes, he's no, we don't really need to know right now what the war between, um, uh, you know, Ravka or, or I don't even know if there wars conflicts between Ravka and yeah. Shuhan and, and Fierda are, we don't really need to know that we know they exist and we know that they might have something to do with the way Grisha are treated, but probably more just like land grabs and stuff. Honestly, they're all, it's, it's very, it's all very Eastern European. Like as somebody who is a history major, my God, have you ever read about like literally any, any Eastern European history from like 1870 to like 1920? It is just a mess. Like 
it's all just them just it's like land grabs and weird little power struggles and like monarchs and and leaders you don't care about and have never heard about because they never taught it in schools because it it matters it matters in the grand scheme of things it literally caused world war one in the end but like it's it, it's also minuscule compared to like the world as a whole and and i think that's maybe kind of the 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 point here is like that the conflicts between them are minuscule. What's important is the Darkling is it's his grab for power. And it's not just, it's not just, you know, against Fierda and, and Shuhan. It's, it's, it's against, it's, it's in Ravka too. I mean, he literally has Genya. I mean, we don't know what she did poison the, the King and Queen. Um, she, I, I, we don't know if she poisoned them or if she just made them sick because she is a corporalki. Like, regardless of the fact that she was a tailor and not, you know, a heart render or whatever. Like, she, she was a plastic them. surgeon. That's what she was. Right. And, but that's the thing, though. She was, she was clearly talented. In med school. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So she's clearly talented and knows what she's doing. And she definitely did something to them, whether it was poison or, or whatever. But, like, you know, I, I mean, he 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 wants control, and, and granted, yeah, sure, the king is weak and a jerk, and the queen is awful too. But like, he just I wants another, to rule the world. Mm -hmm. I think another really interesting point that you brought up here is sort of like how the war doesn't really matter in the background of everything because the real threat is interior, and mm -hmm. like. God, if that doesn't ring with American politics right now, cry. Which is funny because this was written like oh, eight yeah, years ago. Or, well, like, ten, ten, this was written 10 years ago, published eight years ago. But yeah, yeah. The, no, the, the, it's, the, it's the funny world. to me. But, like, it reminds me of another like accidentally relevant thing. So like, I don't know if you guys are musical people, but I love this musical called Hades Town, And one of the songs is literally like the megalomaniac ruler of of the underworld Hades singing a song called why do we build the wall yep and this came out like years before because the concept know. album came out yeah. like forever ago and exactly. then the musical and happened like, and literally there's like interviews with the author or, or with the um composer and she's like yeah I did not expect this to have this much <laughs> relevance or um uh, political uh, commentary, but uh, um, here we are. Welcome to 2016. Nami, I saw Hades Town on Broadway, and Same. specifically seeing that song performed mm -hmm. was just like chills. This like, oh yeah, yes. Chills, I chills, so I chills. just saw it December of last year, and unfortunately, I got stuck in traffic on my way there, so I arrived late. But I also sat in my seat the moment Persephone shows up and Hermes turns and says, you're late. And I was like, <laughs> I am late. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, accidental political relevance, just like, you know, in like the parallel mm -hmm. of like the corruption within your own country is, you know, maybe something you should pay an eye on. I, I, don't, I, know. I, I don't think it's an accidental political relevance. I think it's a it's a historical political relevance. I mean, most countries fall from within. It's not external threats that do them in. Yeah. Rome fell from within. You know, the, the British Empire essentially fell from within. They weren't conquered. You know, 
Russia, Russia fell from within, right? France, the French Revolution. I mean, it all—it's all, even the U.S. colonies to a certain degree, and then we had the Civil War. So, while we always have these militaries to defend the country, the bigger threats tend to be from within. Yeah. Also, in this wow. case, it just happens to be one very powerful person. Ayo. Um, so uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was uh, the Darkling. He put the, or, or, you know, shocking reveal in a way. Uh, he put the collar, the Mortzova's collar, the, the stag antlers uh, on Alina so that he could control her. But, and I don't know if this is, um, uh, oh my God, there's a, there's a term for it that I'm blanking on right now. Like when the author writes something on purpose so that it, it, I don't, there's a term for it that I'm blanking out right now, but like uh, he put it on her so he could control her, but because she spared the stag's life, uh, you know, she wasn't going to kill it. Mm -hmm. uh, she can also control the power um, or, or she can, she can, you know, fight she, him she off. Can, yeah. Fight him off essentially. But she, but also she, she can't, she can harness the power of the stag because she, uh spared the stag now obviously or i, I guess I, I would think it was it would be obvious that if, if the stag hadn't died and she didn't have the collar she obviously never would have had that power she still needs the physical amplifier um but it's you know he did it so that he could control her and in the end it becomes her power too and i think that that's um i think that's kind of important you know uh especially when it comes to like when you think about like abusive relationships and stuff, like the the way that people, the way that people try to try to own you and and mm. control you, uh, you can often turn that back around on them, whether you know it or not, right away. Um, I guess like like I hate to say this, but like sometimes people's weaknesses are or sometimes what people deem your weaknesses are actually your strength, I guess is maybe the best way to put it. I think it was like a really good example of like compassion being used as a power. That too, yeah. And I think mm -hmm. it's so important in like, you know, YA books and fantasy books in general, because I love the fantasy genre. I am a slut for the fantasy genre. But one thing I will also say is that the fantasy genre really sort of makes you forget about the value of life at times just because of how many people tend to die in battles and conflicts or like the hero and like, you know, and like as somebody who's a fan of like video games and stuff and all of that, like, you know, like sometimes you forget that like people are actually dying and like for somebody who's a main character and a really powerful main character in a fantasy book for YA people, it's so, so important that she chooses the like, compassionate route even towards an animal because so so often in these series it's like yeah okay like she's she's a warrior she's an assassin like of course she's gonna kill people it's fine like she's still our protagonist so we still care about her and we still think she's good which is you know that's also fine that's like definitely a pov that needs to be heard but i think the thing that's more lacking in like the ya genre is the compassionate hero and i think that's really what you get with alina which is so nice because 
because god dang i've had enough of assassin main characters i tried to read a book recently that was main character is like the best assassin ever and i'm like bitch just killed so many people like i can't i i don't really like her i think i just read that book <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to remember the name of it it That's was a whole one other that, podcast <laughs> i know but... <laughs> um yeah yeah i mean honestly like also, I, I don't know about any of you, but like the whole thing where they were like going after the stag and then they find it and it's so magical. And like, I listen, I am not like a vegetarian. Oh, I am yeah. like my, my family hunts. I have eaten the deer meat from the deer that they have killed. Okay. But like, it's just this whole like, oh, it's this magical stag and he's so pretty and he like comes up and he's kind of like, she touches him. And yeah. It's like, that. And like, like when you know. he dies, it's like, like I didn't cry, but it was close there. Was it, like, was just, it To me, it really felt like a unicorn. It felt like th that, mm -hmm. that world's equivalent of like the sort of magical purity and wholesomeness that a unicorn is. And to me, it was, it was literally like, you know, God, I hate to bring up Harry Potter again with JK Turf, but it was it was literally Harry in the Forbidden Forest, like realizing that Voldemort's killing unicorns or Quirrell's killing unicorns and drinking dragon blood uh, wow, unicorn blood to get Voldemort back. And it was like literally like that level of like quintessential evil that you would kill the one thing, the one thing of its kind, just for power. And it was like that that moment of like absolute disgust and just like absolute <clears throat> sadness for like a beautiful animal and like yeah let's be real i'm a vegetarian but i'm a vegetarian because my family is and i don't really like i like animals but i'm also the type of realist that i'm like well we have to eat something and it's not sustainable for everyone to be vegetarian so well and you also get i think uh sort of after the death you also get that cruelty of the darkling where he's like i don't i, I never cared about the creature I only cared about the power. Mm -hmm. uh, he specifically tells them to burn the stag because he's done with it. Like he's got the antlers. He doesn't give a fuck. Don't even bother eating it. Yeah, no, exactly. Like there's, there's something about also the way, the difference in the approach that I think is really um, creates that dichotomy, right? Between Alina and Mal and then the Darkling and Ivan and all the others who are kind of like on the, well, we, we have to do this to further the Darkling's goals, which are also the Grisha's goals, apparently. Wow. Question I mean, mark. <laughs> you know. Well, but, he, that's how the Darkling has certainly yeah. set it yeah. up, you know? That's and that's why the, dark, the Grisha follow him even when he's clearly doing something that is extremely not okay. And, you know, again, that's a little bit of the, oh, look, we're, you know, seeing media that was created well before the rise of Trump that really is showing us like, oh, yeah, no, there's tons of people who will just do whatever it is that they think is quote unquote right because they're, demagogue has said this is what we have to do in order to protect our way of being well i think it's even further than that it's the demagogue himself has convinced himself that he in the righteousness of his cause 
I mean, you I don't, have to, right? Right. Like, I that's, mean, you know, that's Stalin and premise. Hitler didn't <laughs> consider themselves bad guys. No, absolutely. Uh, and clearly the Darkling is like, well, I have to do this. But his perception of morality has also been warped by right. so many different things, as Bagra tells us. Well, yeah, because he's lived for how long? Like, we don't even know, but it's been yeah. a couple hundred years at least. Well, <laughs> considering Bagra is his mom and she's still around and talking about shit, then yeah, like, it's been forever, basically. Also, we, uh, Bagra we... is the real MVP here, y'all. Love Alina, but Bagra... We has stand just, a legend. How does she still? Like, how is she still even alive? Like I, I know that they say Grisha live a really long time. Like, Loki, I'm pretty sure that if I had a son like that, I would live long out of spite. But, yeah, uh, you got to just to find the person who literally could potentially overthrow him, groom them to overthrow <laughs> your son, and then like that's the end of the book, right? <laughs> You'd hope anyway. I need you guys to like. Of course, like, there's two more books in the trilogy. <laughs> I need you guys to vibe with me here for a second, but yeah. like, I have fan cast Bagra in my head as uh, what's her name? Oh my god, hold up, I'm gonna Google it real quick. Thank like, goodness for Google. I know, right? What Are you gonna share the screen of your of your uh... Google? Results. Oh, Michelle Gomez. So she's the actress with like yes. the really defined cheekbones and like beautiful facial structure. And she's like the, um, I think I want to say she's she like- played Mi um, Missy on Doctor Older. Who. Yeah, yeah, she played yeah, yeah. Uh -huh, Missy on Doctor Who. And I love her. And she does like weird villainy vibes or like weird, crazy old vibes like very well. And I think she has just such a distinctive look that I think she could play Bagra as being old, but still be awesome. You, you don't think she's too young an actress to play Bagra? I mean, she's let's only, be fair. She's younger all, than me. <laughs> all, all women Prosthetics and makeup can do anything. Young roles well, of course. But... And old actresses don't really have a space at all, which is absurd. But I just, yeah. I like her look. Like, I'm... I'm not picking her based off of age. I'm picking her because her face is just something that makes sense to me as Bagra. Like I know Bagra is supposed to be old and like look old visibly. And I think that they could age Michelle Gomez with makeup really well, but I think she just has such a distinctive and like strikingly beautiful look that I think it would be perfect for Bagra. And I just, somebody like posted it on like Twitter or Tumblr and I was just like, yeah! Probably Tumblr. That sounds like a Tumblr fan cast, let's be real. That 100% sounds, like, sounds like Tumblr fan cast. Yeah, I wrote that on Tumblr for the big for the Grishaverse Big Bang and honestly, I, I cannot remember how to use that platform at all. I, what? <laughs> I, used, I have not used Tumblr like? in like six years, eight years. I don't know, it's been a long time. Do you, um, know, do you want to see who they actually cast for the role? Who? Someone named Zoe Wanamaker. Zoe. Okay. Zoe, Zoe Wanamaker. Zoe Wanamaker. Oh, she played, um, what's her name in Harry Potter? Dang it. Oh, okay. Okay, the... I do like her. She has a good look for her. What's her name in Harry Potter? Uh, one second. Is it not a hooch? It might be hooch. She looks like hooch. I think that's Madame Hooch, the 
Who's Robin Hood? She's the 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 flying instructor. Yes, it's yeah, not yeah, a flying instructor. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. That's okay. it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see that. Right. I like her. I like okay. her look. She's. Cool. I have to. I think I had to rewatch Harry Potter because I honestly don't remember a thing about her. But like, you know. Do you yeah, need to rewatch Harry Potter? No, probably. <laughs> Listen, I, I already own the I, I've owned the Blu-rays for years, so like I feel like I'm not doing any harm by rewatching them. You know, it's no, not like I'm not. purchasing them oh, yeah. or you're even not. watching them on a streaming. <laughs> you know, actually, actually, so like this is a bit of a Harry Potter tangent, but I think the <laughs> other reason that Alina's like compassion weighs so like strongly to me is because the last time you really see that sort of compassion or like the like valuing of life is in Harry Potter with like unforgivable curses murder and splits your soul and you don't really see that impact on killing is bad that much in most fantasy media like don't get me wrong I love Lord of the Rings to pieces but like damn so many people die like damn granted they're literally Song of Ice and Fire, like every other chapter, oh, is like wow. there was a battle and twenty thousand people, like twenty thousand, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's not even to mention like all the main characters died. that also die. It's like you know, like re like so much high fantasy involves so much death because it's like medieval setting. It makes sense, but like also at the same time, it's nice to have high fantasy with hey, death isn't good, y'all reminder human life has a value and i think that's like even more something that we need a reminder right now of covid times just because like seeing numbers of people dying is so much different when you actually think about oh yeah this is a person and i don't mean to be a downer about it and bring up the 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 evil stay at home virus but like it's really it's like big numbers and human brains don't function well and it's so easy to forget that numbers are people when it comes to mm -hmm. things like death and i think that reminding you of that in a fantasy setting is the one thing that harry potter did well yeah and that's all i'm giving it right now what friendship Sorry, is what? a superpower i said yeah i don't disagree with that yeah friendship is a superpower um Okay, so some of the some of the things that there were some quotes from Lee Bardugo that I wanted to kind of talk mm -hmm. about, um, and 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 they kind of I, I, this isn't the best segue probably, but um, <laughs> one of the, the like I, I actually like I usually have like I I always have a pen. I maybe people hate this, but like I always have like a pretty like colored gel pen, and I like underline passages that I like, and there weren't really that many in this book that I felt were like super important, but, um, the, the, this is, I, I believe this passage came from very soon after like Bagra, like told her what the Darkwing, what and who the Darkwing really was, uh, where she's think she's thinking back to the Darkwing saying the problem with wanting is that it makes us weak. Um, and she thinks how right he was. I would wanted so badly to belong somewhere, anywhere. I'd been so eager to please him, so proud to keep his secrets, but I'd never bothered to question what he might really want, uh, what his true motives might be. Put on your pretty clothes and wait for the next kiss, the next kind word. Wait for the stag, wait for the collar, wait to be made into a murderer and a slave. Um, and, and one of the things that I've read from th th there's basically there's like some Q and A stuff with the author at the end of these books, and one of the things that Lee said was, uh, in terms of some kind of message, um, I think it's worth asking how much of ourselves we're really we are willing to sacrifice for the sake of belonging to someone or something. For me, that's the question at the heart of Shadow and Bone of this book, um, and I mean, 
uh, I, I think, I don't know about you guys, but like as somebody who grew up, you know, like a total nerd who was just kind of like on the outskirts and outside of everything, um, that idea, that need to belong to something has led me down some pretty dark paths. Yeah. Um, not that I've done super horrible things or anything, but like it's definitely led me to make some bad choices, um, led me to allow some pretty awful people into my lives, led me to not let go of awful people soon enough, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, I think it's really, I think it's a really good message. I mean, really to give to anybody, but especially young adults, but honestly, like I remember reading this a few years ago and this is after I'd kind of been through the worst of what I'd been through and, and just reading this book and finishing it and being like, wow, that was like, it wasn't about just an abusive relationship, but it did a really good job of showing how easy it is to fall into something that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, and, and how hard it is to get out. I mean, maybe, maybe not in the, in the, um, you know, like, like, I mean, Alina leaves. Yeah. You know, she, she, as soon as Bagra tells her what's going on, she leaves. That's, but that's, that's, that's fiction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she still has a hard time getting out. She knows the Darkling is after them. She knows, you know, and he catches her eventually anyway. Like, I, I just, I, I, I feel like a lot of this, 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 um, the, the need to belong can really, you can mm -hmm. sacrifice parts of yourself that you don't mean to sacrifice, you know? I yeah. absolutely highlighted the same section. Uh, <laughs> deeply resonated for me. Uh, it's interesting. So uh, I don't know how familiar you all are with the geek social fallacies. Um, there's basically... I don't, I don't know when it was written, but it, it was written a while ago because I remember it from like a decade ago. But there's essentially five core geek social fallacies that a lot of geeks fall into because we are outsiders from a very early time, right? And so they are ostracizers are evil. Um, so you should never ostracize anybody. You should never uh, exclude anybody. Their uh, friends accept me as I am, and so I shouldn't have to change. Uh, if you really are my friend, you should accept me for who I am, and therefore I should also accept other people for who they are and should not expect them to have to change. Friendship is over everything. So if you're friends with somebody, that's more important than anything else. They are... Um, friendship is transitive, so if I'm friends with Tara, then I therefore have to also be friends with Nami or uh, alternatively, if I'm friends with Tara and I'm friends with Nami, then Tara and Nami should be friends. Now, luckily this <laughs> more or less seems to be the case in, in our situation, but uh, often isn't. And then the final one is uh, friends do everything together. So if the four of us were all friends, we would have to invite all of uh, everybody to everything. Right. So even if, Jonathan didn't like getting pedicures, then uh, he would still have to be invited, even though he might complain the entire time that we're Oh, I have pedicures. a better one. I have a better one. Nami doesn't eat meat, but we're inviting her to the Brazilian steakhouse. 
perfect. Exactly. <laughs> a Korean barbecue. My FOMO demands it. <laughs> now, is, is there's actually a picture of me in India in 1989 getting treated like a king or a sultan with getting a manicure and pedicure that my aunt says is the, her favorite picture of me. And I'm, <laughs> I'm humiliated by it. So <laughs> Pedicures are the greatest thing in the world. And I adore them and we'll get them any chance that I can. But it, the, the example is really irrelevant. My mom. <laughs> right? Uh, the, the important thing is like because of the uh, ostracization that we often go through and the exclusion, we end up in these scenarios where we're excusing other people's behavior because we want to feel included and we want them to feel included. And I think that's really damaging and really important to to call out and to hold ourselves and hold others accountable for because it can lead to some really horrible and toxic things. And uh, you know, I I know Tara and I have both experienced that. I'm betting Jonathan Thank and Nami have experienced that. that. And I think it's something that we is particularly because we have that background we have to then also say that's not okay this this behavior is not okay and that that's the thing that i think i i actually really love about this book is that alina is saying look i could have all of these great privileges but i also recognize that this is inherently wrong mm -hmm. and i am not going to allow this to happen and i'm going to call this out even though it is at my own detriment now it's a fantasy book there's a lot of other stuff going on, but at the core, like that's the message that I take away from it yeah. is no matter what your level of privilege is, you have to then be willing to say, it doesn't matter if I'm giving up everything, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm, uh, you know, taking these people and holding them accountable for these actions, I have to do that. That's the right mm -hmm. thing to do. Yeah, it's so it's so good to see a book value holding people accountable versus finding a place of belonging because yes. that's also like finding a place of belonging is such a nerd theme and making sure to like tell young nerds and be like, "Hey, see how this is bad? Like don't let yourself stay in a bad situation just because you you could belong there." And I it's so so important cuz like, you know, been there, done that like all of us, I'm sure. And it's and I think to me, that's one of the other reasons that I was so confused when people in the fandom are just like, yes, she, she should she should have stayed with him. I'm like, what? Abs absolutely <laughs> not. Get out. And this brings me to like another like big quote in the book, the Darkling's whole fine, make me your villain. Mm -hmm. I love that quote for two reasons. Because of the absolutely obvious gaslighting that is going on the in your face this is him being manipulative this is gaslighting this is not okay and how obvious it is that it's not okay and the fact that it's also just it just further escalates his shitty villainness and i love that because like sometimes yeah. let's be fair i thrive in a villain that is so so evil that even though you understand why they got there that you're like fuck this dude and that's what the book is for me. 
And that's why the fandom with their Darklings dance and they're like, oh my God, we love the Darkling. He's our little baby. And the, yes, we ship Alina and the Darkling in a healthy, wholesome relationship where she saved him from his hundreds of years of evil. I'm just like, I don't understand. Like, can't some you people guys- can't come back, y'all. I'm sorry, yep. but some people can't come I'm, back. That's just also, one thing is that sorry, like you wrote like the abusiveness of this relationship and the importance of like finding your place being offset by doing what is healthy for you so so well that it I find it so intrinsically upsetting that some people saw the point. They saw it, it was right here, and they were like, but what if I went this way? Or this way? Or what about if I just went to Mars? I'm like, what? How did you get it so wrong? It's fine. Also, I'm, I will never understand. People can again. absolutely try to redeem themselves, and you still don't have to forgive them. Yep. 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 Big yes. Big yes. That yeah. is the. Hey, 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 babies, if there are any babies listen to this or you know, <laughs> adults who are still making terrible decisions for yourself, that's the one. You, if somebody wrongs you, you don't have to forgive them. You, you are not required to no. forgive people. For example, don't forgive the Darkling. That man literally put a <laughs> on Alina. Like, mm, yeah. murdered, like an entire city's worth of people. It's fine. Yeah. Committed uh, justified, made, made, made a powerful person, literally his slave. Like, let's, maybe don't forgive him. Um, maybe if you're his mother, plot his demise. Um, I don't know. I don't even know Bagra. I, I, I do have, like, my issues with Bagra because I feel like she's, like, it's that epitome of, like, a mother's love or whatever she's like i don't like my kid but i love him and it's like yo he is unredeemable i like, like, read bagra as that very tired old woman who just gave the fuck up i just i read her so much as like oh my god i know my son is shit i i just i don't know what to do anymore I mean, like, I think, it, it, well, but she didn't, though, because she says that, like, she still hopes, like, that that, that she can, like, fix it or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Back to, like, the stupid family ideals that people sometimes hold of, like, family love is unconditional, blah, 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 blah. That's stupid. I always believe that my family can redeem, be redeemed that I don't <sighs> agree with. Um, you know, that whole blood is t- thicker than water is a misquote. Nope. And the actual quote is like the the blood of the covenant, something 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 that the way it boils down to is blood is not thicker than water. Choose your own friends, buddy. The people you choose are more important than family. And I think that the in some cases, yeah. And I think the thing that I took from Bagra the most is like the danger of the blood is thicker than water ideal in the fact that like she's literally holding on to hope for this like truly lost cause and that she's going to love him no matter what. When like, ma'am, ma'am, you should have strangled him as an infant. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not actually. She didn't know that at that time. Yeah. But if we, intru- if we introduce time travel, she should go back and strangle him as a yeah. child. <laughs> that's the that's yeah. the major moral that we should yeah. take away. That's the Agreed. kill baby Hitler is the moral. Well, and 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 I mean, in the vein of um, you know, not not knowing what he was capable of or or whatever like he did he did we know now he was the same person who created the fold um and i i liked this uh quote from the author 
where she said, in fantasy, darkness usually operates as a metaphor. I wanted to make it a literal, physical thing. And that idea became the shadow hold. Um, and and there, was, there was some proceeding, like, explanation where she was essentially, like, scared of her own shadow trying to walk home one night, um, which as a woman is kind of, you know, Big move. Feel that in my heart. <laughs> I've literally been walking my dogs and I'm like, walk faster, walk faster. You have to walk faster. Um, so, uh, but, but, uh, but she's right. Like in fantasy, darkness is usually a metaphor, usually. Um, and, and the fact that she, you know, created, she, she wrote the shadow fold where darkness, it's, it's something that they can like almost literally feel. Um, and it has its monster, its monsters too, but like, like it is the, the way it's described by Alina every time she goes into it, even before she has had her, you know, um, I mean, the first time she goes into it, it's like, it's like a weight almost. The darkness is like a weight, which is to me as somebody who needs like pitch darkness to sleep uh, to the point where I uh, will either I have like a giant sleep mask that covers like half my head or I will put a pillow over my head and sometimes both. Um, like to me, like I'm like, yeah, whatever, darkness. Yeah, that's good. It's good for sleep. Uh, but just just um, the the way that the the shadow fold is written, it, it's it's its own it, it in and of itself is a bad guy in, in this series. I so. I think the coolest thing about the Shadowfold is that the way Lee wrote it, it made me think of that fear of being a woman and walking alone at night. Like it mm -hmm. viscerally reminded me of that fear. And mm -hmm. I think the cool thing about the way that she wrote it is that that fear is now translatable to people who've never had that experience. And it's also like, you know, the further personification of you know, fantasy, darkness, the concept, but evil, but like real. But I think for me, the reason it really stuck is like a uh, creepy walking alone at night. And that I think very- that's so important. In the snow in New York City at three o'clock in the morning. God, oh man, Tara, don't, don't do this to me. <laughs> it's a story. I think it's so important for that analogy to really be in home. Uh, and I specifically think it's important for men to read because generally speaking, men don't have the same experience, right? Like we, we might be scared at some point in the dark, but it's not the same fear that men experiences and a woman experiences pretty much, you know, throughout their life of being on a street alone or, um, you know, thinking about, am I able to run right now? If I think the more that we can help men understand that fear, the easier it is then for them to understand where women are coming from on a day-to-day -day basis. Because we don't have that day-to-day -day experience. We don't have that lived experience. And for some people, being able to relate requires that more visceral understanding of happening, which is unfortunate. It would be nice if like everybody could be like, oh, I get that that's your experience. And so I'm going to treat that as 
instead of saying, well, that's not my experience, so it can't be real. Yeah, I think. And that's one of the things I get really frustrated with, with men (laughs) in general. (laughs) Yeah, I think the really striking thing about the shadow fold is that it brings that experience sort of like to the to the day as well, you know, in real life. Cause like, you Mm -hmm. know, the fear for existing alone as a woman, like trying to go places alone, it's not just at night. It's always, it's anytime there isn't another woman in your vicinity. It's anytime there isn't like something explicitly safe and explicitly safe could be security, but most often even then it's not. And, you know, um, the thing that really strikes is that, the constant vigilance that they have out of fear of the Volcra approaching and like the exhaustion of that constant vigilance and the fear of entering at all, because while people make it out and they can be okay, what if they're the unlucky one? And that is the female experience. And I think like writing a female character, like a young I mean, let's be honest, especially in the beginning of the book, but I mean, even, even at the end of this book, even with, even with knowing what her power is and being able to harness it and more of a scholar, like, um, having it be kind of a young, let's be honest, like overall weak compared to a lot of other women in this series, female character, be the one who has the ability to just defeat it with simple light is is like really important um because because it's showing you that like i i i I, and and i don't know maybe i'm reading into this or whatever but i want to hope that the author was trying to say that like uh you know no matter who you are no matter how like how much you might question yourself and think like i'm not this i'm not this person i can't be strong that you have that light in you to kind of I don't know, defeat the dark, move on. I don't know. No, I like that. And honestly, like, I think that's probably part of her message. But even if it even if it wasn't what Lee intended, like, that's the beauty of literature. And that's the beauty of like, reading is that you can put your own value on things. And I think that's such an important thing to pull from this book. Because, you know, for me, the big things that stuck from this book were Alina's compassion, the amazing depiction of abuse and pull and being able to pull away from it even though it's you know simplified for fantasy's sake the need to value yourself and your well-being over a sense of belonging even though belonging is important and then finally the idea that you don't need to be the typical strong powerful fantasy hero to be strong and that like levels of strength do exist and just because you're like, you know, skinny, frail, sickly Alina doesn't mean that you can't. You got the light, people. You got the light. I'm going to stop punching the air dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> you punch that air, Nami. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, so I guess like, 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 Nick, you've already kind of said your piece about like the darkness or whatever. Like, Jonathan, how do you feel about Alina kind of going from like the weak I mean let's be honest like she she thought she was useless even though we all knew she wasn't from the beginning because like we knew that she had saved Mal and everything like yeah like for uh, long, in the army like obviously she's not useless but like yeah I was gonna say she, she was a map maker in the army I mean she obviously had some skills and 
people saw well, I guess, her work. I guess she's very um, self-aggrandizing, uh, you know? Which yeah, it reads very. I used normal. to be that way, honestly. Yeah. Oh, big same, big same. I mean, when I, yeah, when I was when I was, when I was when I was little baby Tara, I was self-aggrandizing as fuck. But like then I realized, like you know, listen, I have my weaknesses. I'm not good at everything. I, uh, yeah, like, but but at the same time, like my weaknesses in in some cases are my strengths. Um, yeah, like like. The, the ability to humanize oneself uh, when you're like set aside as a leader, that sounds really stuck up, but like people always talk to me about how I have no problem discussing like the hard things that I'm going through. Um, and yeah, that's because like, I am out there as like sort of a public persona with like lead, like like running a convention and everything. And and like if you don't have that humanizing like perspective, then you just become this sort of like, I don't know, this person that people set aside. And I like that about Alina that she she is the sun summoner. And when she has eventually she has the collar and she's super strong. But even before that, nobody really knows that but she's struggling with her power. Um, and, and, and she is, is consistently humanizing herself. I, I think the lesson that the author was trying to say is, you know, Alina, the whole book, she, she always showed compassion and how, yeah, they portrayed her as be, being weak. And then she realizes the compassion is her source of strength, not a weakness with the stag. So I think that's where the author was going with it. That was my interpretation anyway. I also oh, yeah, no no I agree. I think my I keep saying I think my other thing. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch this and see how many times I say that. Just like you know, out of curiosity. But to continue, I think my other thing is that <laughs> that's just your that's just your phrase now. It's my catchphrase now, as opposed to like. <laughs> as opposed to like, yeah, that used to be my catchphrase, but. It's really interesting to see how much Alina humanizes herself and especially as a younger person going into like, so I just finished my master's and that's a field where you as a person constantly think you're underqualified until you see the people around you also think the same thing. And it's that imposter syndrome idea that even when people think you're great, like you probably don't think that. And I think Alina like personifies that in people so much and just her self-depreciatingness is everything that like people do these days. And like, literally like it's so interesting to see that in somebody like Alina. And while she's humanizing herself, you can also see that like in many of these aspects that she is wrong, that she, and I think Lee manages to balance that in a really interesting way. Cause obviously you're only getting Alina's perspective in all of this, but it's still clear in certain matters that like, even though she's, like very doubtful of her position and power like it's so very clear that like she is someone who is deserving of this and like deserving of like her new position because of her power and that's like something very obvious to the reader in a very interesting way and i think that's really cool because i hope that it would also make young people who or just people in general who like feel that doubt about themselves always like maybe also see that hey hey no it's okay like like everybody feels this i promise you you're like 
God, imposter syndrome, man. Well, and I think like some of it is that she's deserving of it because of her power. But let's be honest, she's also deserving of it because of the person that she is. Mm -hmm. Um, She is the person who brings Genya in and refuses to ostracize her when she's supposed to. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she like, like she is the person who should have killed that stag like all these other grisha killed the animals that they got their amplifiers from but she couldn't you know like she she is like like we keep using the word compassionate and that is so important and i'll be honest like i'm not gonna no spoilers but like you see some of that compassion kind of uh she loses some of that compassion as time goes on because of what she's gone through. And like, it's, it's, it's very important to remember who she was um, throughout this book, because uh, if you don't like. (laughs) I also think that keeping a reminder in your mind about book one, Alina is really important for understanding how characters react to her in book two and three. And I think once again, I'm going to talk about backlash to my certain favorite character. Like this character gets a lot of backlash for being upset that people change. And, you know, when somebody goes from being so compassionate to being something different, well, of course you're going to notice. And I think it's, Alina's changes throughout the book series are one of like the most striking and I truly did not realize how much she had changed from the first book until I reread the first book because I forgot she was this good in a sense. Well, I mean, and and it's not just her. It's like, it's like you forget um, even, even, even everything with the darkling. It's like, you think he's bad? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's a weird but i thought he was dead now but oh my god are we supposed to believe he's dead i mean no let's be be real at the end of this book alina and 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 this is something that she like she feels bad for about it at the time she leaves the skiff of people to kind of with with innocent themselves. people on it who were just happened to be along for the ride I mean, for the well, for the dark yeah were they innocent though it's kind of it's kind of like if it was like trump on a skiff with a bunch of people who were like mm, uh, yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna with this dude because he's the guy in power. No, no, there were some ambassadors on that skip. Oh, oh, the ambassadors, yeah, 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 yeah. Those, 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 the the couple ambassadors, yes, they were those poor people, but the green and everything. People, they were. I read it as Hitler on a skiff with his Nazis and three people who were willing to talk to Hitler. So I was like, zero compassion here. But also, that's probably bad. Mommy's not, not so, Alina, if we couldn't tell. Okay, so I feel like well, we don't need to get into the like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm just saying, before, before they were on the skiff, you didn't. They you were know, just you, dudes, yeah. They were just dudes, and even the Darkling had yet to do anything truly evil at that point. Yeah, but like, if you could go back in time and murder the Darkling before he murdered an entire no, no, I understand. Betty, but I mean, then... we're trying to read that. We're trying to discuss yeah, no, it because it. we I read it. it, and at that point, you don't know what the Darkling is going to do. Right. So, yeah. 
I feel like no, we do. I, I, no, no, I mean, let's be real. Alina did not know what he was going to do. That's she true. she did not know that he was going to expand the fold. She thought that she was there to prove that they could. I mean, she didn't want to be part of what was going on. She knew something bad was going to happen, but she had no idea. No, I, I, I absolutely believe, and not the ambassadors aside, I absolutely believe nobody on that skiff other than the Darkling had any idea of what he was actually going to do. And I, I think that's, and, and, and listen, that's kind of, that's actually a very important point. Like, so when you have no idea what this awful person is going to do, okay, and then they do this awful thing, what do you do? I mean, because because I'm I'm pretty sure Genya was on that skiff, and she was just like, and it's also revealed that Genya has done some pretty not hideous good stuff, right? I mean, but she's I, I guess, poisoned I guess. their shitty king who raped her, but you know, it's I'm not I'm not I, I, yeah. listen I'm 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 like hard I'm hard pressed to like judge Genya too. No, I I love Genya oh, to pieces. Oh, 100%. Like 100% like poison that poison the rapist. Like do it, girl. Mm-hmm. 11 out of 10 I support you. Maybe you don't murder but murder also all rapists. I mean, I'm cool with that. <laughs> I mean Maybe don't poison his wife, but also she sounds like she's a rape a rape apologist. So like, I don't know, man. I mean, don't poison her. No, she didn't poison her. Though. She didn't. Po- she didn't. No, do- she I didn't. don't think there's any. There's nothing. No, there's nothing wrong oh. with the queen. She just oh, Genya yeah. isn't there anymore, so she's like, oh, yeah. right. She yeah, her livid makeup artist left. But... Yeah, her her daily plastic surgeon is no longer available. Yeah. I think though that like, but Genya also does. Sorry. No, go for it. Finish, because I was about oh. to change gears again. I was going to say that she does basically say, well, like, I know the Darkling's going to do some horrible things, but, like, he's helped me, so maybe it's okay. I Yeah, but I still don't, I don't believe for a second that any of them, any of them knew that he was going to. No, I agree with that. I yeah, totally agree that, that, of the bad that outside of did. Alina, I would argue that Alina at least knew that he was planning to extend the fold, if not actually outright kill citizens. She did absolutely know that he was planning to extend the fold. But outside of Alina, I don't think anybody else on those skiffs knew just what the Darkling was planning. Maybe Ivan. I, I mean, I still, I still, Ivan, absolutely. He's a did. dick. He's a dick. I, mean, I don't I like mean, him. Kind of I mean, he can die in a fire. Like I mean, what I don't quite understand... <laughs> Now I'm trying to put myself in the darker point of view. He could have shown that he could extend the fold without actually wiping out the town. So why did he do that? Because he's what a was dead. It? dramatic. He's a dramatic. Yes. Because he's evil. Because <laughs> I mean, the point would have been made. He's like, anyway. he's like my dog acting like I've ruined her life by putting her in a crate for 45 minutes, and she like yeah. tries to break out, and there's like a mess all over like the corner of my bedroom where her crate is, like that, like just dramatic bitch. And John, I think that's another. I think your point here is a really good point. Like you're a good person. As a good person, you cannot understand why he would do this, and. Honestly, good because if you could understand why he would do this, I would be worried for your character. <laughs> but yeah, like, like we'd maybe have to reconsider evil, the host of the show. 
<laughs> we need like, more evil it's house. It's like me, Nick, and Nami are like, yeah, we totally get why he did it. Like, it was absolutely awful. We totally get it. And Jonathan's over here like, I don't understand it. Like, again, yeah, Jonathan. <laughs> pure, our, our pure, pure AF over here. Yeah. <laughs> pure Just, AF. Uh, we're all like, yes, Most we understand wholesome. the motivations of this ability. It's like, but that bad. Well, no, I think he could have. <laughs> I'm just thinking of it from a logical standpoint. He could have accomplished the same thing without doing it. So why would you go through the motions of doing it? So, sometimes you just want to die. Because it wouldn't have been as dramatic. Honestly, yeah. it would not have been yeah. as dramatic. Like, you're right. He absolutely could have made his point without yeah. killing an entire city's worth of people but it wouldn't have made his point the way he wanted to make his point like he's just a bad dude he wants to he wants to run the world like sometimes he, sometimes when you're drinking that evil kool-aid it's not enough to drink it you gotta drown in it i mean he literally like killed a miraculous being and like placed a collar i mean and honestly let's not even talk about the symbolism of a collar and control like it's a dog or something like, like alina is a dog or something that has always grossed me out but like especially because she can't like it's it is can't remove it around her neck and she cannot remove it by herself How does she walk underneath I, that honestly I, like is her neck I mean, well to be fair deer antlers are not they're they're very very light they're they're almost hollow like tara like, is her neck smelly can she wash under it i that i don't want to think about like lift the antlers up a little bit and like wash underneath there but it also it's interesting to me tara like what you were talking about in um to me the coloring is very much like a dominant submissive collaring ceremony effectively. Uh, so if it, for anybody who's not familiar, like that's a whole aspect of kink community of uh, a dominant or a master collaring a submissive or a slave and basically demonstrating that they uh, have some level of ownership over that person. And so- like the the biggest thing with that it though is that like in the kink community it happens with enthusiastic consent yes yes, exactly. yes. that's exactly that's exactly it nami yes uh it, it should always be done with and, and but i do think that that also then feeds into the whole thing that we've been talking about about abusive relationships about all those things because it that is absolutely something that happens in the kink community that like happens there in are super yes yes Absolutely. Creepy people are everywhere. Rip. <laughs> Rip. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, and, and you're right. Like, but the, yeah, the, the 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 idea of like the the collar around her neck and mm -hmm. just, oh God. to me, I just mm -hmm. a lot of the descriptions of amplifiers for Grisha used words like collars, shackles, cuffs, things like that. Like it was never bracelet or necklace, and to me it always read as being trapped. So it was like, even though this is power, it it's to me, it always felt like you were being trapped into this power. And well, and also I, you have to murder a like magical animal, like, mm -hmm. like yeah. not just any living creature, like a special, like magical creature in order to get yeah, it always read amplifier. Me, like, you get a, you get power, but it's absolutely a trap. 
And I think the other thing that really stuck with me is that for me, like the the non-consensual collaring for Alina just read this like like, you know, the history of slavery in America. Because and like with all of like the wording and like obviously Alina is not, you know, a black person. So like it doesn't sit there. But that's the other reason that I don't understand why people like Alina and the Darkling. I'm like he is making her his slave. Like and not that, and not just not just like mental slave as in like you have to do what I tell you or like you're gonna get whipped. Literally, like like he he touches her and he controls her. Like yeah, that is like, it read and, 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 like, slavery. I, I have so many like I have so many things about this when it comes to like abusive relationships that I would love to discuss, but also like I feel like that's too deep for me to get into. <laughs> No, it was just like it was so disgustingly like slavery that I was just like, how can people look at this and think that this relationship could be salvageable? Like the same way people look at Joker and Harley and think, oh my god, relationship goals. Yikes! Can we talk about speaking of Joker and Harley? I just found like a comic <laughs> snippet of like Poison Ivy full on, like going into Joker's house yes. and being like, hey, I would murder you, but Harley would kill me because she still cares about you, but you're nothing. So stop thinking you're shit. And I was I like- I literally saw the same one today. And yes, I had the same I reaction. think it might've been because I shared it. <laughs> it might've been. <laughs> was this a meme? No, it's a comic. Um, John, go on my Facebook page. Um, I've shared it. It's like from an actual comic strip. So it's basically um like Poison Ivy full on going in and the and like telling the mm-hmm. Joker he's not shit and the Joker being well, like. Well, now oh, I feel yeah. like we're talking about it, so I have to share it on the like actual webcast <laughs> Facebook page. So um, do it. It's so good. It's so worth it. Like I mean, I, I will say, listen, like my most one of no my most liked Instagram post ever is a picture of. Is, is a picture of dra- from Dragon Con of me as Poison Ivy proposing to my friend Becca as Harley Quinn. A plus, the best. Wow. It's my favorite. Also, I'm so happy to say that this generation, like people, have just grown up to be Poison Ivy, which is like protect nature and like screw the government. And I'm like, girl, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody I love wants, the new nobody, Harley like, Quinn show. Nobody wants oh, the this. Harley Quinn show on uh, that started on um, DC Universe and is now on HBO Max. Have you seen it? Ooh, yes, I it's so good. Time to it's check it out. Hilar- it's hilarious, but it's one of the it's the most four lettered thing I've watched since Deadwood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, also highly recommend. Uh, definitely check Deadwood it out. Deadwood is very good too. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, on that note, uh, does any, okay. So, so one last question before we end for the night, I think, um, what was your favorite moment or scene in Shadow and Bone? Nobody's going to go first. I'll, Do I have to go first? I'll just jump in. Uh, okay. so I, I highlighted this quote because it, it like, I loved it so much. Um, this was his soul made flesh the truth of him laid bare in the blazing sun shorn of mystery and shadow this was the truth behind the handsome face and the miraculous powers the truth was the dead and empty space between the stars a wasteland peopled by frightened monsters i just was like oh that's so fucking good yeah it really is 
And it uh, you know, so obviously it's de describing the Darkling and also describes a lot of the really terrible people that uh, either I've directly interacted with or who might be like running a country or something. Um, but it really just stuck out to me as like, this is what we are fighting against. And it, it tied to, for me back to that concept of compassion as a, a source of power. And I think if we can kind of see, hopefully, you know, definitely Alina and then like hopefully some of ourselves in contrast to that of let's fight against that, let's show compassion, let's show kindness and use those as our guideposts for how do we treat other people, then like that's going to be a pretty good place to operate from. Anybody else, or do I have to go next? Well, my, well, my favorite scene was actually when she came into her power and realized that compassion was yes. the source of it. And, yeah. And that was my favorite scene, but I'm a sucker for those types of scenes. So, <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good one. Mine is, you know, it's something I've already mentioned. Mine is fine, make me your villain but not for the reasons that people might think so. I love that scene because of, it was to me, the payoff of being suspicious of the Darkling this whole time. It was the payoff of thinking that this man was garbage and being suspicious of his motivations and like the creeper vibes. And to me, that was the moment where it hit, where I was like, yeah, this, this man is evil. And I think, I love it so much because people try to romanticize it and be like, oh, like, blah, 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 gaslighting bullshit. And I'm like, this man gaslights her to the point of trying to trick her that him being full straight up evil is not a real thing. <laughs> and just seeing that happen and seeing how it plays out and seeing how full of shit he is in that moment was just to me it was so rewarding and so rewarding in the way that i was like fuck this dude bury him in the ground do not bring him back fine make me your villain bitch i beat you to that you already were <laughs> um <laughs> and, and if loki if i'd been alina at that point i'd like let's be real the I would not have been Alina at this point because the minute he he tried to kiss me, I would have like full on kicked him in the dick. But that <laughs> that aside, if he had said this to me, I would have just been like, "Sir, sir, I did that months ago. Um, where are you at, buddy?" <laughs> and I think, I think just like that line was the moment where I was like, "And we're throwing him off the cliff, irredeemable. We already low key knew it, but now we've confirmed it. Good." Mm -hmm. Um, mine is mine is a little bit weird. Mine is um, the moment that she lets go of Mal, like mm -hmm. she let, she lets go of him, and that's how she like realizes her own power. And like mm -hmm. I realize that the reasons she let the reasons she lets go of him. Obviously, we learn later he was trying to contact her. She was trying to contact him. Neither one of their letters were getting through. You know, it wasn't. 
that they were ignoring each other or whatever. Um, but, but, like, <laughs> but like she realizes that like, or, 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 or she just kind of like, she realizes that he, like the thoughts of him, yeah, the thoughts of him and her her love for him is what has been, what does that say? I spent my life running after Mal, yeah, yeah. Instead, she let him go. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I mean, I'm old enough, y'all, where I could say, like, there is no good that comes out of running after a person you're interested in. Dude, girl, they, whatever. There is no good that comes out of running after a person that you are interested in. And you could let them go and maybe they'll come back to you or maybe they won't like, or maybe they were never yours in the first place and they're never going to be, but like, you're never going to realize like your own worth until you stop that shit. So, yep. uh, it, it was her, her, regardless of whether or not, and, and to be honest, I knew, especially reading again, the second time this time around, I knew what was going to happen, but like, it's, it, I, and I think like if I'd known the first time, I know maybe I did, I don't know. It's been so long, it's like four or five years since I read these books the first time, but like that moment where she let go of him and she was able to harness her own power because she let go of him. It, it was very much that like, stop relying on, uh, on other people. Stop, stop waiting, stop waiting on other people. Like, live your life, do your thing, like be yourself. Don't wait on other people for any reason, literally mm -hmm. any reason. And I'm not just talking about relationship shit. So that was, that yeah. was like. It's so poetic too, because like, you know, literally the reason she isn't discovered as a Grisha is because she suppresses it to stay close to Mal. And it's such an important message of don't make yourself lesser to be close to people. Yeah. And it's I don't absolutely. think she, I, I mean, I don't think she knew what she was then. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll follow that, you know, but, but it yeah, I, I, conscious decision, but I think that's another thing that like, we also do in real life a lot. Like, you know, it brings me back to like being in sixth grade and trying to make friends with more of like the mainstream normal girls and like suppressing my nerdy self because I wanted to be friends with these normal, pretty people and like get close to my crush, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, whether or not you do it intentionally or not, don't make yourself less than who you are as a person in order to stay close to other people. Be who you are and like be the most authentic to yourself. And if those people are meant to be near you, they'll come back to you. And if they're not meant to be near you, they won't. And that's also okay. And like, just like, the balance of how that works. Like, yeah, okay, I take it back, Tara. I'm going to borrow your favorite moment. I'm keeping, can, can I have it too? It's really good. I forgot how much I liked it. I, I have like butterfly memory and I literally finished reading, rereading the book like the hour after our stream the first time around. So it's been two weeks, which is apparently too much for my butterfly brain. So forgot I liked that bit. That butterfly flaps its wings. It's fine. <laughs> Where am I um, all right, so any any last thoughts before we wrap up? Can we have a Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy moment where Zoya realizes that the Darklings <laughs> crashed and goes and rescues Alina from him and they can both just be gay and happy and destroy men? 
Yeah, so Alina. Well, wait, that. which which one would be Harley though? I feel like a, a like Zoya would actually be Harley because she Zoya was the would one be that Harley, was like yeah. obsessed with the Darkwing from the start. Yeah, she was so. also like definitely the longtime abused one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You could make an argument that Genya could be Harley as well. True. All three of them happy lesbians. Let's go. Perfect. <laughs> That's it. That's the plan. Our next fan fiction is written. <laughs> Listen, you A A A U, right? right? Um, all right. So, any any other like any other last thoughts? Uh, we'll be back, by the way, uh, two weeks from now, and we will be discussing the entirety of um, Siege and Storm. So, so well, yeah, it's, me. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's probably it's probably going to be about a two-hour one. For that um uh but to be honest like i'm already like most of the way through that book so like i i siege and storm and 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 ruin and rising are kind of much it, since we've already established our thoughts on the culture mm -hmm. and everything as a whole i think we'll be good um and we'll start splitting the books again after that but but we yeah so scream it's hard for me to tell where the, where the each book starts because i bought the whole series on a kindle and it just sort of goes one to the other without really <laughs> a split. So it's honestly, you, I've been we'll, forcing we'll myself. You, it's to, I've been forcing myself to not read ahead, just because I'm so much into fandom that like I don't even know if the things I'm saying are fandom creations at times. And I do this with like Harry Potter now. I do this with like all of my fandoms, and I'm like, if you're discussing the book for for a thing, you need to actually discuss the book and not your weird crack shit fan theories about how Alina and Zoya is the best pairing because their powers literally make a rainbow i mean i i have literally uh i've read i've read ahead i'm almost done with siege and storm but like wow wow i have to do that I, I because too, i know I there too. i know i know there's going to be a time i know there's going to be a time where i can't do the yeah. things <laughs> yeah you have uh like when i go to california next weekend so, anyway. We have lives. Yes, I know. Ha, yeah. shocking. I wish I didn't. That's why I read this at, at last night at 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, no other last thoughts? We're good? All right. We're good. Thank you guys so much. Um, this is so much fun again. And I will see you in two weeks where we will talk about the entirety, just a reminder, of Siege and Storm. Uh, and if you're listening to this as a podcast, thank you again. I am Tara. I'm here with Nick, Nami, and Jonathan. And we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you. Yay. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.